Bank Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. What's going on, Dodgers Nation? Doug McCain here. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. And thank you, fans. Welcome to another edition of the Dodgers Nation Roundtable. And today I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Clint Pesillas. You can follow him at RealFRG. And we've got a newcomer to the Dodgers Nation Roundtable. If you want some expert Dodgers analysis, I know a guy. His name is Noah Cameras. He's a writer here at Dodgers Nation. You can follow him at at Noah Camera, so do, go ahead and go give him a follow. Nailed and also, it. we want uh, we want you guys to uh, also let us know down below in the comments section how big of an organizational failure was this by the Dodgers? Is this the biggest fail in Major League Baseball postseason history? We want all your takes down below. And for all latest Dodgers news, head over to DodgersNation.com. But here we are, and we're still trying to dissect what happened in the NLDS. The postseason was not what we hoped it would be. The regular season, it was outstanding. 111 wins, a franchise record. We expected a deep run, but that is not what we got. We got 111 wins in the regular season and one in the postseason. In the regular season, the Dodgers were like a Gulfstream G700 private jet. In the postseason, they were like Spirit Airlines. Okay? The yeah. Dodgers... They weren't able to get to their destination. It was a rough and uncomfortable ride. But we want to talk about Andrew Friedman's press conference. And I thought he had a lot of interesting things to say. It looked like he hadn't slept since the Dodgers yeah. lost. He was looking a little rough out there. But he was a little defensive at times. I thought that, yeah, he was accountable. We're going to dive into what he said. But the first thing I want to touch on is his comment that the Dodgers were an organizational failure. And the first question I have for you today, Clint, is... Which part of this Dodgers organization failed them the most? Was it the front office? Was it Andrew Friedman by not making a trade at the deadline? Was it Dave Roberts' decisions? Or was this just a matter of the offense didn't have it, baseball's going to baseball, and sometimes you're just cold? Who do you think was the biggest failure this postseason? I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a blanket statement. He had nothing he could point to. There's no one thing he could say about uh, – well, how the team lost or what the hell happened. It had only been a couple of days. They didn't know. They have a whole, you know, they have three extra weeks of offseason to kind of figure it out. Uh, to, to call it an organizational failure again, it's a nice blanket statement, but but really it's, it's, it's blaming nobody. It's blaming the think tank way that this team runs the organization because he's not going to go in there. He's not going to throw Dave Roberts under the bus. He's not going to go throw Mark Pryor. He's not going to throw Mookie Betts. The way so many people have thrown him under the bus. I mean, we've said some things on Blue Heaven, but I don't think it's all Mookie. It's not all Trey Turner and his errors. I mean, you look at some errors, yeah. 
cost the game, but it's it's it is it, it is the best way and the worst way of saying it. It was everything, and it was also a team that just I mean, as prepared as you can be to win 111 games, they did not look prepared to beat these Padres that were riding high in a short series. Yeah, and you lose as a team, you win as a team, and I think that I agree with you 100. percent I think that it was a blanket statement. He doesn't want to get specific. He doesn't want to throw anyone under an 18 wheeler <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So look, I mean, he had a chance to so get throw under a double-decker bus and he didn't choose to go that route he didn't sell Dave Roberts out he didn't talk about just specific parts of this team it was basically a situation where he said yeah we failed as an organization mm -hmm. but on the same token if you're Andrew Friedman and everyone's dancing to the beat that you created I think that of course you're not going to say specific parts because I think everyone is tied in to his vision but yeah. What are your thoughts on Andrew Friedman and what he did at the trade deadline? I was pretty critical. I think we all were. We thought, hey, this is a team that has a small window. When you consider the group they had put together, do you think they should have done more at the deadline to address things like starting pitching, maybe add another impact bat? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, at the time of the trade deadline, I was pretty confident in the team that you know they had at the moment, especially they had Walker Bueller at least publicly expected to return. They had Dustin yeah. May expected to return. So starting pitching didn't feel like an issue for me. But when I look at the trade deadline, I'm looking at what the Padres did do. And you think, you know, Juan Soto had the game time hit in the seventh inning in game four. Josh Hader looked like the best closer in baseball history that entire series, especially the last two games. So it wasn't as much as the Dodgers didn't do enough. It's the Padres just did so much in that trade deadline that their pieces ended up being the reason yeah. they won. And, you know, obviously Joey Gallo didn't even play. Chris Martin looked good. <laughs> but I just think in the, at the moment, I didn't think they should have done more. But when you see what the Padres did do with their acquisitions, it, it's hard to not regret a little bit. Yeah, I think when you look back at the opportunity they had, there wasn't very many guys out there. The price tag was very high for Luis Castillo. You saw the Mariners gave up three of their top five prospects. When you consider the extension that he signed, I yeah. think that's a deal where I don't think Bobby Miller is going to have the career that Castillo is going to have. And I look directly at this camera at the trade deadline. I say if the Dodgers don't trade for an impact starter, they're not going to win the World Series. Mm, yeah. And the reason why I felt that way was validated in that first round series because you saw this five and die style that the Dodgers were going with where yeah. it doesn't matter it could have been it could have been Sandy Koufax in 1963 and Doc's <laughs> gonna pull him after five innings it could have been prime Randy Johnson yeah. he was gonna go deep into that game but I think when you consider what AJ Preller did how aggressive they were and they went out and they did mortgage their future to try to win down to try to slay that Dodger dragon and they did just that so I definitely think they could have done more at the deadline but I also think that it goes deeper than that I think when and you consider that this Andrew Freeman and the players that they thought were going to come back, the yeah. Walker Buehlers, Dustin May, Tony Gonson got injured. I think they overvalued that, the status of those players. I mean, what's yeah. your thoughts on that, Glenn? Well, I know that's something you rode high for most of July and into uh, into the after the trade deadline, being critical of the lack of moves. It's, you can't guarantee these guys come back and are – you know, who they say they are on the back of their baseball card, you know? Yeah. Canely <laughs> was was good in a small sample size against bad teams in September. Ended up being a big-time problem there in October. Team loses there. Um, you you got to make a move. I think there was, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of perception issues for this team. They didn't win a trade deadline. I mean... The, the Padres going out and getting Josh Bell is like kind of a throw-in in the Juan Soto deal. That's a net gain over the Dodgers getting Joey Gallo. And I understand at the time they didn't need 
necessarily needed Joey Gallo. They were hoping to get something out of Joey Gallo, but you knew you you, you got to have pitching. You got to have more pitching, and I think you know you didn't expect Tony Gonsolin to end up getting hurt. You, I mean, you should have yeah. Throwing, yeah. throwing more innings than he ever had in yeah. his life, but. There's my non-answer for you. I mean, no, I think it's a great answer, Clint. <laughs> um, and I, they needed to do something more. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like it, but at the same time, um, they had a bunch of bodies that they felt they could rely on. And let's be real, this this World Series, or this World Series, they didn't make it. The World <laughs> Series wasn't because they didn't have pitching. It wasn't because they didn't have a Josh Hader. The bats didn't get it done. And <laughs> postseasons is a. It's all about momentum and. One team had it. The other one did not. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Sometimes you just don't have it. But kind of going back there, we're going to unpack this a little more. We're going to move on. Is I've always said parades over prospects. And yeah. yes, the Dodgers are built for sustained winning. But one World Series in 10 years. And I don't care about anyone's opinion on the 2020 World Series. Even if that was a full regular season, I still think you should have been able to squeeze more championships out of this run. And I think if you're this Dodgers team, you realize that, yeah, you want to win. But you're only going to remember those World Series titles. And yeah. I I think that now I think they're going to shift. And I want to kind of pivot to this is based on this organizational failure where they didn't just squeak into the playoffs and lose in the first round. No, they are the <laughs> first team in Major League Baseball history to win 109 games and not even make it to the championship series. So considering how dramatic of a loss of this is, what kind of organizational changes do you think are coming? We're going to get some of those philosophical differences, but what are some organizational changes that you might think could happen in this offseason? Yeah, I mean, well, the big thing that we've been kind of talking about and seeing is the Dodgers need guys who can hit in October, and that's kind of the big thing. It's the guys who kind of have that, the dog in them that people like to say, the fight in them, the guys mm -hmm. who have the spark in them, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, this team just didn't have those guys. They didn't have the people who really stepped up in big moments, and you saw, you know, I mean, they didn't play an important baseball game for the last six weeks of the season or something, yeah. and then they had the five days off, so... They just kind of they it, it didn't look like they cared very much. So you kind of want to start and bring in those guys who, you know, maybe haven't won before, haven't been in those moments. Like I mean, when you look at the Padres dugout, any base hit they have, these guys were up, they were celebrating, and <laughs> yes. that could look annoying at times, but it also really gets your team into a series like this. And the Padres had a bunch of guys who hadn't been there before and yeah. really wanted it, and the Dodgers had a bunch of guys who win all the time and have World Series experience and. They just didn't have the, the the want that the guys on the Padres side had. You know, a question I have for you, Doug. Do you think this team has just been, this Dodgers team has just been too successful? I mean, they don't even celebrate. You know, <laughs> there's a champagne toast for, uh, you know, clinching a playoff berth. There's there's an hour of drinks in the in the clubhouse, an hour of libations and cheese <laughs> yeah. platter when they clinch their, their ninth division in 10 years. Are they just, is it, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the phrasing I'm looking for? Yeah, Are no. They, the victims of their own success, no, in a way. No, yeah. I, I think that there is something to that, and I think that that's also seen with the Dodger Stadium crowd. I mean, you compare the Dodger Stadium crowd where, yes, attendance, no one's going to touch the Dodger Stadium crowd, but yeah. they're used to swinging the towels, they're used to winning, but I do push back on a lot of Dodger fans out there that say, oh, look at the dugout of the Padres, they're going crazy. Look at the dugout <laughs> of the Dodgers. What's my favorite thing in the world? Kobe Bryant's job not finished. Yeah, you didn't see Kobe <laughs> going up there and celebrating. I, give me a cold-blooded assassin. <laughs> I think the Dodgers, they're not sitting at home on their couches right now because they weren't cheering like a softball team yeah. 
cheers on their team. I, I definitely think there is something to that in the clubhouse, the fire in the yeah. clubhouse versus, yeah, we're going to celebrate every hit. I think that's a great thing. And I it, I went back and I watched some of the games from 2020. Every time there was a barrels are overrated, you see the barrels are overrated. You didn't see that with this team. You saw a lot of golf claps. It was quieter yeah. than a library at times. <laughs> and I do think that does start with Dave Roberts a little bit. I think you kind of just, just, let's go. Let's get this yeah. thing going. So I think confidence is contagious. And I also think that there's some of that too. It gives the guys confidence when you're going out there and you're just celebrating. So I definitely think that this team and just the, just on a simpler term, just the general vibe of this team was very businesslike. When they yeah. won games, it was like, this is a Dodger machine. But hey, guys, what happened to pepper grinders? Huh? <laughs> what happened to the pepper grinders? What happened to the splash of water? What happened to the, the Wolf of Wall Street, the Wolf of the Ravine? Where was that fun in the uh, postseason? I think tap. a little gentle tap. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like, we have done well, team. <laughs> Kudos to you. Exactly, yeah. right? So, like, I do feel like a lot of that, too, was just the pressure that was on this team. Some guys just weren't able to Great handle point. it. So Great do you think point. that that led into it, too? Th this team, <laughs> you you have, you know, by the time you're playing again in October, um, you have the team, the one team that's left that has the highest payroll. They weren't higher than the Mets, but the Mets were bounced. You have the highest payroll. You're playing against a team that you, you beat 14 times, uh, <laughs> a team that has been talking smack and building to beat you for years, and they just they didn't have it. I, I, yeah, I, I lost the question because I started going into other other. Yeah, uh, no, other you're right. Mind, like sometimes we can dissect this and we can just do a complete autopsy report on this Dodger team. But sometimes teams just have the juice. Sometimes teams don't don't have it. I think more than any other sport, if you win the wild card round in Major yeah. League Baseball, that just springboards you to the yeah. next round. And the Padres, they got exactly what they wanted. They wanted the Dodgers. They got them and they beat them. But next topic we're gonna dive into. We're gonna chew on this one a little bit is a lot of people out there, okay, why did the Dodgers lose? Runners in scoring position. They struggled with runners in scoring position. You see everyone basically saying that is the main reason why L.A. is at home right now. They go 5 for 34. They hit 147 with runners aboard in the postseason after leading Major League Baseball with a 272 average in the regular season. So this team was stringing together clutch hits all season long, but they just weren't able to get those timely hits in the postseason. Now, why do you think that is? What do you think is the biggest reason was it the approach was it the lineup was it just bad situational hitting just what's your whole take on the lack of runners in scoring position execution yeah i mean even though the dodgers were the best team with, the, uh, with runners in scoring position this year they always had the issue of situational hitting you kind of saw it mostly um, when they played the extra innings games with the ghost runner yeah. i mean i don't know i remember the exact stat but they were bad in those extra inning games they never really found ways to get that second the runner on second home um, and even though they were one of the best teams in the regular season, you saw those issues all postseason long. And finally in game four, you know, Trey had that bunt and they started getting, Will Smith got a sack fly. So it looked like they were starting to get to that situational hitting, but they didn't have it the first three games. They scored three runs in game two, one run in game three. And, and those were both very winnable games. So, I mean, maybe it's the approach, maybe it's that. And also, I mean, maybe it was some of the layoff that, and like I said, I mean, they haven't played an important game in, what, six weeks? I mean, yeah. at some point, that comes back to get you because the Padres were playing important games the entire second half of the season.
Team, so. Teams yeah. with mo- momentum, they win. Mr. Mo, Mr. Mo, man. He's a nice guy, and he can basically ruin your season. But I think that's a great <laughs> point. I think you see people out there saying, oh, that's an excuse. Don't make that excuse about the layoff. But there's a difference between an excuse and an explanation. And the mm-hmm. fact that you're not given high leverage at-bats, there's a different <clears throat> intensity level when we're playing blitz ball. And I have, like, one strike to go, right? Yeah. Versus we're just messing around and going through batting practice. Mm-hmm. But how much credit do you give the Padres pitching staff and Bob Melvin for just how they they handled this explosive Dodgers offense. I mean, you got to give them all the credit in the world. They they went in with a game plan. They changed their season strategy to face this Dodger offense. Dave talked about it, where usually, you know, batters like Will Smith, Justin Turner, they would, quote, see more spin in the regular season, but they went high velo, and we saw Dodger bats couldn't catch up to the high, high velocity. So all the credit goes to the Padres for – uh, riding their momentum for once, being hot at the right time. You know, I guess you can give some credit to that, but but uh, their, their pitching staff not really giving away too many at-bats. Uh, I mean, umpires didn't help in some mm-hmm. situations. Yeah. You know, when we were talking before, we, we decided to hit the record button here about Mookie Betts at-bats in a couple of those situations where they're probably ball four. They're called strike three. But that's another one where you'd like to see some fight, get some yep, momentum exactly. going back to your dugout. Mm-hmm. But still, the, the Padres stayed executing, and they're still playing meaningful baseball. Yeah, the no, fantastic point. I think the bottom line <laughs> is there were just key guys that you expect to produce for this lineup that just yeah. simply did not come through. Mookie Betts, like I said, it's not it's time for Dodger bowling. It's it's time for Dodger <laughs> baseball. He was atrocious. He hit 143 at a 492 OPS. He struggled with runners in scoring position, as did Will Smith. Will yeah. Smith having a bad series really hurt this team. Yeah. He had so many opportunities. He goes hits 188. Justin Turner 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, looking over overmatched against high-velocity fastballs. And when that's your number five hitter, the heart of your lineup, Justin Turner has to do a better job of just getting his bat on the ball mm-hmm. and just getting a base hit. Now, next question I want to ask you guys, though, is a lot of the Dave Roberts apologists, the Doc defenders, <laughs> they'll tell you, oh, Dave can't go up there and swing the bat. Dave can't yeah. go up there and swing the bat. Well, guess what? You know what Tommy Lasorda said? Tommy Lasorda said, if you have runners on third with, let this, with, if you have runners on third with less than two outs and you don't get them in, you're playing for the other team so do you think dave deserves any fault for the offenses just cold spell their lack of performance i don't know if that's a dave thing i think it's just an organizational thing i'm i'm also kind of curious uh, about in a roaring stadium Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. 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 
the the hitting coaches and the hitting philosophy because we've seen it time and time again in October. They stay up there swinging hard, swinging for the fences. You don't see this team really go. I'm not a, I'm not like a hey, you know, bunts or you know, I like big bunts and I can't yeah, yeah. lie. <laughs> I don't think you need to go out there and 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 bunt every you know runner over or whatever. But but play to a situation, play it better. Uh, you know, I, I point to them not being able to get a, that that run in what was it the fifth inning or fourth or fifth inning. You you know, Padres Bob Melvin credit goes to Tim Hill, gets a, a big time strikeout of Max Muncy. You don't get that extra run. They don't bring in that run because they had runners at second and third, one out. You don't bring and they already scored. You know, they had their they thought they had enough points to get through the game. They did not. Um, that's my that's my take. Yeah, I mean, there were so many examples of just no lack ending. of execution. I mean, just look at game two, Justin Turner, first and third, no outs. Oh, yeah. Game In game two, that sixth inning where Max Muncy gets fooled by the deke. He's unable to get to second. Gavin Lux grounds into that double play. Trey Turner's at-bat just fouling out in key situations, grounding out when you need – you have the runner at third. He just grounds to Manny Machado. He gets hit with the deke. So, yeah, it was just the little things in little this things. series that just continue to plague them. It's not like they got blown out in any of these games but I mean, we were watching the the philly uh was it philly padres game two and sure the phillies ended up losing but you saw them just finding grass uh, yeah. getting i mean there was some luck in there and cap and cap hits dropping in uh in front of outfielders <laughs> juan soto <laughs> muffing a play in, in right field but still they capitalized they scored they kept the line moving they kept some innings going and there wasn't a homer hit this team plays for the homer do you, uh, would you change like the hitting philosophy would and it's well, tough yeah. to say it's tough to say when a team just won 111 games but when you keep doing the same thing over and over in October maybe maybe it's time you look at something a little bit different bring in a 15th hitting coach to be like hey guys here's this is your October hitting coach <laughs> we're going to go through bunts we're going to go through sacrifice flies. Those mean something. Runs are at a premium in October. Would you do anything in that regard? I definitely would evaluate everything when it comes to the hitting. How big of a role do they have? I think yeah. there is this misconception that Robert Van Skoyak is tinkering with all their swings. And when the reality is, guys like Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, I've seen it with my own eyes. There's very little communication. They're going up there doing their own <laughs> yeah. thing. They have their own routine. Same as Trey Turner. But I think... Will Smith, like I said, you bring up the lack of execution, bases load on two different occasions, you're seeing weak flyouts, and I think that sometimes you do have to have that two-strike approach. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to go up there and shorten your swing when you consider the fact that, A, your offense isn't doing very much. I mean, they average over five runs per game in the regular season. That was tops in all of Major League Baseball, mm -hmm. and you saw, look at me, just look at game four. They score one run. They average three runs per game on the season, but to, your, to get back to your question about hitting a home run, that that's just how you win in Major League Baseball. And I hate to simplify yeah. this sport that has been so nuanced for so many years. But if you look at the record this season, teams that have out-homered their opponent are 16-5. and five. Since 2016, teams that have out-homered their opponent have won 86% of the game. So my issue with that is you got a... Five foot nine, 180 pound player as your best home run hitter hitting leadoff in Mookie Betts. Yeah, so I yeah. do think 
to about bringing in an October Heating coach. I want to bring in some sluggers that don't necessarily have that positional versatility that they covet on the Dodgers. Bring in some guys you know can be boppers. I remember in the offseason when we were talking about Jorge Soler and Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz. I want to see some passion. I want to see some bomba in there versus more of a balanced home run yeah. hitting like we saw with 21 Muncy, 24 with Will Smith. But yeah, I was going to ask you guys that question next as far as philosophies. And we know you want to maybe change the approach. Do you think that Robert Van Skoyak, just from an optic standpoint, should fall on the sword? Because obviously they're not going to replace Doc, but who do you think should fall on the sword as far as the coaching staff? Somebody. I would honestly... I'm a Bob Guerin guy. I I think there needs to be one person somewhere. We know the think tank with, with Andrew and Dave are pretty similar. We know Bob thinks right in that line. And I think there needs to be just... One different voice that says, hey, guys, maybe this? That's just my thing. So they're not going to change hitting coaches. They have three dudes who are part of that staff. So even if they get rid of one, it's the the voicing, the philosophy, and what does a hitting coach do these days? Well, really, they just bring – I think they would mostly bring you what this pitcher does and Mm -hmm. and what to look for in that situation. But – Love Bob Guerin. Chances are some of these guys are going elsewhere anyways because there are a few managerial openings. There are other coaching openings. Um, Bob Guerin's going to be my guy, though. Yeah, that'd be very interesting because that's been his right-handed man. And who else is going to do this? You know, that's like his moment when he gets the opportunity to call for the replay. Hey, Walker needs a job next year. Yeah, let Walker do it. Maybe Justin Turner retires and he'll be his right-handed man and he'll be the manager next season. But yeah, I want to ask you, Noah, about Dave Roberts. And we're going to dive a little deeper into the Doc Talk. And Andrew Freeman. (laughs) Doctober. (laughs) We wish. I wish, wish, man. Doctober means uh, it ends on October, mid-October, right? Mid-October. Yeah. There's only 50 days in October, not 31. (laughs) No, I'm just playing. That's how we deal with pain here, right, Clint? Laughing is healing, right? But Andrew Friedman said at his exit press conference, I personally don't think the criticism that Dave has received has been fair. I think it's human nature to want to point the finger at someone, and I feel like this is an organizational failure in the postseason. Do you think that Dave Roberts receives too much criticism from Dodgers fans for the Dodgers' lack of performance in October? I don't think he deserves too much because he is the manager of this team and, as far as we know, is making the decisions. Here's what I will say about Dave Roberts. Um, Sometime in the end of the season-ish, the Padres had reports of a meeting that came out with Bob Melvin when he, I guess, screamed at his team or kind of, you know, lit a fire into them and said, this is what we need to do if we want to make the playoffs. That is what maybe helped propel these guys to really want it and really push. Dave Roberts had none of that. And Clint mentioned it. There were a few moments where, you know, those that strike three to Mookie that was outside or one of the other calls that if he goes out there and he yells at an umpire and he even maybe gets ejected Get from the game, tossed, yeah. you light a fire under your teammates, um, under your players that says, all right, this guy wants it. Mm-hmm. Let's go play for him. And he, all he does, he just, you know, he claps in the dugout. He, or uh, he pats people or he gets a little mad, but he's yeah. not. He's not yelling, he's not angry, and he's not running out and defending his players. And I'm not saying this is his fault, but it is a manager's job to have his team ready and pumped up. And there were no reports of a meeting that went on, nothing. No. I mean, it was just it was just a normal series for this team that they just happened to lose. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a great point with Bob Melvin. I said uh, to here, I was like, if yeah, Bob Melvin's the manager of the Dodgers, maybe they're playing today. Yeah. Because I think that at some point, your voice 
it does doesn't carry the same amount of weight when you're hearing the same message year after year. I've always said Dave Roberts, great guy, terrible bullpen manager, great motivator, but doesn't crack the whip like some other managers out there. And I think the things that he does great, he does have that infectious energy, his yeah. charisma, his personality. That's what the Dodgers love about Dave Roberts. But if you're not applying this sense of urgency to your players, if you're not pushing them and motivating them, I think he gets credit for Max Muncy's turnaround, sticking with his guys. But yeah, I just think with Dave Roberts at the helm and I'm not saying to fire Dave Roberts but I definitely think he's firmly on the hot seat I think I don't know where do you stand on that do you think Dave Roberts is on the hot seat I think that you look at his career 653 and 380 a 685 win percentage 400 win seasons and let's be honest you're not going to fire a manager that just won 111 (laughs) games but he, he is the Doc Rivers of Major League Baseball, the Mike McCarthy coaches yeah. that they perform well. They win a lot of regular season games. But when it comes to the postseason, there's some panic in Dave Roberts. But what are your thoughts on Dave? Dave's job is safe. It's not going anywhere, even if they come out and somehow lose or win only 60 games ne- next year. Something probably happened to do that. This is like the all-time winningest by winning percentage manager in, in Dodger history had, you know, won 111 games. He gets along well with the players. He gets along well with the, the, the front office. Um, his job is, is not ever going to be, it's going to, it will take a long stretch of mediocrity and failure and just straight up. Like I've said before, he's going to need to walk in to Andrew Friedman desk, uh, his <laughs> office and just dump straight on his <laughs> desk to lose this job. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Dave Roberts isn't going anywhere. And he's in my, I don't think he's necessarily the problem, but it's always so nuanced. Cause I think even on, 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 uh, you know, Monday's blue heaven, we were kind of like, this isn't all on Dave Roberts, but then we're like, here's all the things he did mm-hmm. wrong. At some point, a player, these players got to do something. I don't think it's all on Dave to inspire, um, his, his team and get them, you know, motivated to go out there and win. Winning should be your motivation. They've been there a lot, done that a lot, not always to go get, you know, these rings up front. He need there needs to be another another voice. You know, there should be somebody on the bench who can not necessarily a coach, a player that can be on the bench and be like, you know, what the what the f are we doing here? And that's where I think he needs the help. Mm-hmm. But his job is very safe. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think his job is safe, and I think the reason that is is because he's Dave Roberts, but he's Dave Robots, right? So he really is a robot. He's a puppet to this organization, and yes, he says that, oh, I'm the guy who ultimately makes these decisions. I just use all the information, that it is a collaborative effort. But if that's the case and you are making your decisions, how can we defend Doc for his game calling in game five of the 2019 NLDS? How can we forgive him for taking out Tyler Anderson who had retired 11 of the last batters that he faced. They couldn't touch him. He allowed two singles that night. Tyler Anderson probably could have pitched a complete game for all we know, but instead you panic. And that is my issue with Dave Roberts is he panics when the moment gets too big. But it's I want- not all him. Just, just to point that out, it's not all him. It's also Garen. It's also Mark Pryor. It's also the script. It's the front office of script of, hey, we don't want him facing Machado for a third time. Um, I listened to an interview uh, on 570, and uh, it was with Andrew Friedman. He was, his thing was, chances are, you know, Anderson's not going uh, another inning after that. So it's like they just kind of assumed 
he's not necessarily agreeing. Friedman's not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with what they did, but that think tank uh, assumed just like he's not going to go seven. Let's let's just get him out now. We have all of our guys lined up. Those guys that had got it done every every uh, most opportunities they could in the regular season, but now all of a sudden they can't. And Dave is going to be the guy who has to fall on the sword because. If it went right, we're not having this conversation, yeah, yeah. and it should have gone right. But the you know the moment got too too big, too quick for Canley. A couple unlo- unlucky moments in there, and then how quickly it can unravel with a hot team is what we saw. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. But on the same token, it's like the more decisions you give him, the more opportunities yeah. you give to bullpen pieces, the higher the risk is that one of those guys isn't going to have it during that game. And that game, and that person happened to be Tommy Canely. And when that didn't go well, he goes to Yancy Almonte instead of Fireman Phillips. And that's where I feel like we were bamboozled. We were hoodwinked. We were lied to because we were told it was closer by committee. But no, you didn't use your high leverage guy in the biggest spot like we saw in game one. You didn't like we saw earlier in this series. You go to Yancy Almonte and it just, I think the bullpen management was bad. I think he was really good in game one. I think game three, the way you manage that bullpen and you only get an inning and a third from your starter. And then the next night, you only get five from your starter. It just was never going to work. It wasn't a sustainable plan. But next question I want to ask you about, Dave Roberts, is do you believe it's collaborative? Do you think that it's from the gut? Do you think that it's Andrew Friedman? He has an earpiece in there, and he's like a host <laughs> from Westworld, and he's just managing him that way. I mean, what do you personally believe? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think it's from the gut because I feel like if it was from the gut, there'd be a lot more baseball decisions going into it than the analytics like you were talking about. But also, I mean, I, I, I don't know for sure what it is. I mean, I, I definitely have to imagine it's kind of a collaborative effort. And like you said, Dave Roberts is the guy who's going to listen and he just always is smiling and it's just, he, you know, he kind of is okay playing the role of this is my decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's no way that Andrew Freeman is not somewhat telling him what to do. Or at least has a group of, in his ear that's saying, here are the analytics. Here's why we're not going to let Tyler Anderson go more than five or Kershaw more than five after he retired nine in a row or Urias more than five. I mean, obviously there's something more to it because I have to imagine that Dave has a little more of a baseball feel that he would maybe slightly change this a little bit. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Especially being the type of player he was yeah. in his playing days. He mm-hmm. <laughs> he wouldn't subscribe to this. So <laughs> good points there. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm just getting whiplash. Watch him go from the, watch him go over the dugout to the mound. I feel like I'm watching <laughs> a tennis match out there. I just think that you have to put a little more trust and have a little more feel in those situations. There was no question that Anderson was dealing. Kershaw could have got another Great inning point. in game two. So I just personally feel that hopefully – they learn from this, and Dave learns from this, but he continues to make the same postseason mistakes again and again and again. And the one time they did win in 2020, he managed the bullpen properly. It was a masterclass in Game 7 of the NLCS and Game 6 of the World Series. So hopefully Dave can learn from this. And, yes, what he does have, what he does possess, it's tough to teach. It's tough to coach. The personality, mm-hmm. getting all-stars to buy in, that's tough to do. So if you could figure out the game management style or maybe Andrew Friedman and the powers that be, learn to just take their foot off the gas a little bit look i want them this offseason to do what they did in the movie office space where they take the printer to the field and michael bolton punches it and they break dancing i want to see them do that to one of these computers this offseason and say hey yes we love the information we love the analytics but sometimes 
the eye test. You got to trust your eyes in certain situations. But it's also so tough to do that when your team just won 111 games yeah. using that methodology. That's where it is like a very nuanced subject because they have success doing this, but we also know the postseason's a different animal. And that's what I'm saying. I agree with you. Like I said, po regular season, strong cup of coffee, postseason, four loco <laughs> with a five-hour energy and some booger sugar, right? So the difference is you don't you're they're not taking into account the human element of what it's like yeah. to pitch in the postseason yeah. some players are built for it some players are not built and i different. think that they're just built different they got that dog so to speak <laughs> so just talking about this organization as a whole want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about the overall philosophy so there's not on dave roberts at this point i do think that it's a philosophical indifference and i think that this like you just mentioned they know the recipe for success in the regular season they know the ingredients they know how to win 100 plus games but now we have a big sample size we have 10 years and one title yeah. to show for it they need to make some changes in the postseason what kind of philosophical changes do you want to see this organization at least consider we know they just high they're looking for a baseball strategist <laughs> no i think you should apply for the job you have the acumen you could definitely crush it in that position if you weren't for us but uh, what philosophical changes would you like to see yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of what we've been talking about. I do think there has to be a little more of a baseball feel to this team and less of an analytical, but then it's tough because they, like Clint said, they just won 111 games. Clearly they have it, but the postseason is different. And sometimes you need to trust your guys who have been doing it thus far. And there was actually a quote from Joe Musgrove after game four. I don't know if he was just saying this to kind of just, you know, poke the Dodgers a little bit more, but he said... Once we got Anderson out of the game, he's been giving us a tough time all year. So once he came out of the game, we knew we had a good shot. Yeah. So it's that kind of thing where it's like when, when Dave Roberts is managing this game, he knows that Tyler Anderson's dealing. He knows he's been good against the Padres all year. And even though they don't want him again a, a, the third time around the order, it's like you have to just trust your guys a little bit. And you have to kind of yeah. let them play and know that your best players are there to win these big moments and these big games. You know, the the thing to me is, you know, we talk about them not ad not adapting, not adjusting, but the thing is they kind of changed their complete game plan, their strategy from the regular season to the postseason because regular season, T.A. is out there for another yeah. inning or two. Mm -hmm. Cody Bellinger is in the lineup. Yep. Joey Gallo is probably in the lineup. All of a sudden it becomes this, you know, we like the matchup or he's been there before or it's about the experience. They've also experienced a lot of L's in October. Do you think there's something to that, to the fact that, yeah, we want them to change, but the ways they do change, they, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, putting gold on a piece of shit and, <laughs> and saying, hey, we're going to try it this time or we're yeah. giving you this best piece. Is there something to that? Where I mean, stick with what got you there. I mean, I think that it felt like, especially this year, because they had so much time to pre prepare for it, considering yeah. they won their division by 22 games, that they did have this master plan. And there were some buttons that they pushed that I felt were the wrong buttons. And yes, mm -hmm. Trace Thompson, he did hit, draw some walks. He got some base hits. The defensive play he made in game four, it was impressive, but Cody Bellinger was your second best hitter last season cody bellinger postseason. is uh, last postseason <laughs> yeah, had a 907 ops had the game tying home run in game three of the nlcs had the game winning hit against the san francisco giants and yes he did not look good at the plate but this is a guy that in his core his dna is rookie of the year world series champion mvp you have to go with 
guys that I think you think have a better chance of achieving that postseason success. And yes, Trace Thompson, he was fine. He wasn't terrible. I think a lot of fans are riding on him, but you never know. Cody Bellinger might have gone up there and ran into one. Yeah. And same thing goes with Chris Taylor. I mean, there are two guys that carried last year in the postseason didn't have an impact at all. And yes, Chris mm -hmm. Taylor was banged up. I think they did Cody Bellinger dirty. I'm yeah. just going to put that out there. I think everything that Cody Bellinger has done for this organization, when you consider the game-changing plays he made defensively, I mean, look, other than Kirk Gibson, his home run in Game 7 of the 2020 World Series <laughs> is the most iconic and important Dodger home run in this franchise's history, and they just threw him down to the ground. They've treated him like a, they treat him like a couch they just put on the sidewalk <laughs> when you're moving, and it's just, please take free couch. I mean, I think they did him a little Curb. dirty. Offer up curb alert right there. Offer yeah. up curb alert. So, yeah, changing up your strategy. I welcome the idea that he was saying it is a meritocracy. And you saw they did move off Craig Kimbrell yeah. the way yeah. they did. But the reality is they put a lot of trust into guys that didn't deserve and earn that trust. So I think there is something to that, Clint. I think it's a great point. And I think it's a fantastic point to say that, yeah, Tyler Anderson's a guy who threw 123 mm -hmm. pitches in an inning this season. He had thrown over 95 Game. pitches. <laughs> Five times. He threw over five, 95 pitches in a game not five times this season through those 123 in his perfect game bid against the Angels. So he's a guy that absolutely should have gone deeper into games. But, yeah, I definitely think that they did switch their style up, and they kind of think they're the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. You great, know, and I great point there. And I think that, yeah, I think they kind of think, okay, we're going to outsmart this team. But really mm – -hmm. I think the bottom line, I do think if you're going to slice up this blame pie, I just think the way this roster was constructed, they just banked on too many of these injured players mm -hmm. to come back. I mean, we didn't even see Dustin May. There yeah. was no red October. Blake Trinan, he, they throw him in a situation where he gives the home run to yeah. Cronenworth. Tony Gonsolin didn't look right. I think that Andrew Friedman realized at the deadline that with the expanded postseason and the price tag in the market was inflated, that, hey, he couldn't get some of those players like he got in the past because mm -hmm. there were more teams in the hunt. So I yeah. definitely think roster construction at the end of the day is the biggest factor. But I want to ask you guys about that one next. As far as the roster construction, I mean, I've been on this big home run agenda on Twitter <laughs> because I'm convinced that you went, you, you assemble a great pitching staff, you leave the yard, and then you have a parade. And I think that the stats back that up as far as roster construction, what we saw in the postseason, what kind of changes would you like to see? Well, I was confused for the last like three months of the season when Edwin Rios didn't even get a chance to come back. <laughs> Poor I mean, Eddie Rios. I haven't heard that name in 30 <laughs> years. Exactly. They um, think you fanced him in like, yeah, in, like <laughs> April and May. April. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the kind of guy who has that big bat from the left side. And everyone was saying, oh, they have Joey Gallo now, so they don't need Edwin Rios. Joey Gallo didn't have an at-bat in the postseason either. So if you're saying you need some of those power-hitting guys, and why didn't Edwin Rios get a shot in the second half of the season to at least come up in the, the 50 regular season games they play that did not matter? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you giving Edwin Rios a chance? And if you think Joey Gallo is the reason, why is he getting zero at-bats in a postseason where he's the kind of guy who has that one swing that can change the game? When they're down 2-1 to one in game three for however six innings, Give Joey Gallo one at bat. Yeah. Maybe he'll run into one and maybe this game will be tied. But instead, it's these guys who are just not able to do that. So maybe they do need to look a little bit more at some of those guys that, you know, have the chance to change a game with one swing and especially can do it in October. 
Yeah, I know. I don't. I mean, I don't know if uh, if the Dodgers are Warriors fans or something, but I mean, the opportunities they gave to Trey's Thompson, he, <laughs> Joey Gallo doesn't get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Edwin Rios, he's collecting dust down in AAA. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to roster construction and the makeup of this team in the postseason, they didn't scare teams. That lineup did not scare teams, and not the way it was supposed to. Yeah, yeah, not the way they were supposed to. And I think you look at the middle of that lineup, the way they struggled. To, to slug and yes you want to execute the runners in scoring position but like I always say you want the dub you've got a slug and one thing I want to see from this team is let's not focus so much on this positional versatility let's bring in Get guys that specialize in home runs specialize in certain positions and bring that 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 postseason fire so I think I want to see a roster that's built around a little more slug, a little more fire in the postseason. And then also, you got to bring in some elite starting pitching. I'm all for trying to sign Jacob DeGrom, going after Carlos Rodon. I think that this is a franchise that they, they're World Series or bust right now. I feel like they're in the same yeah, position that the Rams were in before they won their ring. They almost have to win a World Series just to get the credibility back with their mm-hmm. fans. For, with their fans. So what do you say to that? I mean, they've made moves. Year in and year out. This is a team that just signed Freddie Freeman, that went out and traded for Mookie Betts. They get the names. They get the the marquee talent in the league when it's under their terms. I mean, Bryce Harper would be a Dodger if he wanted to play for $45 million a year for a few years. He didn't want to go for that. Now he's a Philly. He's playing in October. Um, I like the pitching. Jacob DeGrom's another injury type of guy. But I don't think it's it's a roster, uh, it's not a roster addition thing or, or whatever. But it also kind of is because they've 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 leaned so often on the reclamation projects. I mean, you don't you can't always assume that Max Muncy's going to not turn into a pumpkin or JT the longest uh, longest tenured. Uh, what am I looking for? Uh, reclamation project becoming a pumpkin in October, which. He has been for the last three seasons. Don't don't miss that fact. I because uh, <laughs> I wanted to go back a little bit. I'm trying to avoid it, but I want to go back to like the idea of slugs. I think this team needs the opposite because they play their home games more often than not at Dodger Stadium. The ball does not fly out of the ballpark at night at Dodger Stadium. And you've been to games. You've been to games early, covering the games. You watch this team in batting practice. Other teams come here. They make Dodger Stadium look like like a like a playground. Like they just wall up batting practice homers halfway up the bleachers. Dodgers hit things that barely get over the fence in batting practice. It's not a massive power slug team. They try to run into the ball, and we've seen year after year that ball, except for one year where they played in a bubble at a, at a in a controlled environment ballpark. Every time the ball decides to die on the warning track we look back 2021 gavin lux 2019 it was will smith two balls that everybody in the in the world thought were gone it's got to be a gap to gap approach it can't stay and this is where it is like it is the tough thing because you just won 111 games so you did that during the summer when it's it's into fall it's october it gets down to a, a brisk 68 here in los angeles that baseball does not fly out of dodger stadium and then, you know, we're all left there sad and angry, and so are the players as the baseball is caught in the warning track yeah. instead of going out. 
Look at the the the, the fifteen Royals. The gap to gap, keep the line moving. They didn't try not to do too much. Stay within themselves. You know, like <laughs> that approach. I think there's something to that. Like. You don't want to say you're going to go into October and completely change your approach, but there is a way where you do kind of need to change your approach where it's it's less slug-based, unless you have somebody yeah. with prodigious power like an Edwin Rios, like a Joey Gallo, like a old man Nelson Cruz or something like that. But this team doesn't have that. They have Justin Turner who, when he's lucky and, and gets the right launch angle and backspin on a ball, he's going to hit 27 in a year. But that's lucky. You know, Max, when he's right, he's the guy who can crank. He's a 35 home run guy when he's right. He wasn't right for most of the season. And he, you know, <laughs> again, this is a, a Padres team. If we're talking NLDS. They built a team to beat these Dodgers. They got Tim Hill. They 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 <laughs> made Tim Hill into a Max Muncy type of killer. A lot of words, a lot of thoughts. But I, I would disagree to an extent with with the thump. You gotta have some thump. No, I mean, but not completely look, based. I, I'm around. not. I'm not telling them to be the Bronx Bombers or anything <laughs> like that. But I think you need a little more balance. I mean, think of all the postseason nightmares for the Dodgers. It's Steve Pierce hitting a bomb. It's Marwin Gonzalez hitting a bomb. It's Stairs hitting a bomb. So I mean, the, big time bomb. Big yeah. time bomb at Dodger Stadium. So I definitely think you consider your stadium. And <laughs> yes, sometimes when you consider the conditions, it does feel like the Dodger Stadium conditions and the atmosphere feels like a tenth outfielder out there a 10th defender out there but i also know that when the dodgers won in 2020 they hit 34 home runs and we when you think about those moments the kike bomb the will smith bomb the cody bomb all those bombs that really changed that series but yeah i think that when you look at this team overall Seeger found the cheat code that year, though. Like, <laughs> God mode Seeger, man. God eight bombs. Seager, eight yeah. bombs. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to that. I think that this team, though, realizes that it's a difference. I think one of the biggest lessons, and I'll ask you that question next, is what is the biggest lesson the Dodgers can lose from what's the biggest lesson the Dodgers can learn from this early postseason exit? Let me ask you that one next. I would say the biggest lesson has to be that they can't just lean on home field advantage and having a good regular season to pretty much walk them to the NLCS and World Series. And they can't kind of look ahead when they're still in the middle of a series with the team that really wants to beat them uh, because those are two things that came back to bite them. And the last thing I would say is they really need, when they're in this offseason, they have to look at guys who are going to at least have in the past contributed in October and kind of have mm. that clutch factor in them. And obviously the Dodgers had a few guys, but they weren't playing Cody Bellinger. Chris Taylor was missed the first two games and he was hurt. So they didn't really have like that go-to guy who was like, yeah. oh, this guy has always been good. Because Mookie Betts hasn't always been good in October. And Corey Seager was the MVP. He wasn't on this team anymore. Yeah. So they don't really have those guys who are like, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to say this name and get people angry, but Carlos Correa is a guy who has you know, come through in October and has that fiery spirit and has that experience. So there, there, there's something to be said about, you know, getting a guy like that who could really help this team when they need it. All right, Clint, what could the Dodgers learn from this early postseason exit? I guess I, I'm going to steal from what you said. Don't always assume, or one of you guys said, don't, don't, don't play. Don't always assume you're the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. And don't try to outsmart everybody. Just play baseball. Got to play baseball. 
Where'd the F the dog go? Where you <laughs> and, they need, yeah. and they need some more dog as well. Yeah. Go to the pet store, get some dog. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think it's a great point too. I mean, you get caught up in your regular season clippings, you drink your own Kool-Aid, you fall in love with your own <laughs> hype. And I think the Dodgers, I mean, I was around that team. I was in that clubhouse. And when they're winning games, they made it look so easy. Yeah. Like they could just go out there, put on that uniform, and you would see a W in the win column. But the postseason is an entirely different story. And for me, I think the one thing I want to learn is I think the thing that I want to take away from this is yes we've dissected all the reasons why they lost in the roster construction but also the fact that yes you do want to have a sustainable winner and yes yeah. you, you you do get a ticket to the dance every year one of those times you're going to come through but this team you need to go for broke for a couple world series titles you mm -hmm. need to go all in push all those dodger blue chips in the middle of the table win that full 162 game regular season and then you figure things out then you build it back up we've seen what this team is able to do with the yeah. josiah grays of the world the ability to find a way to get prospects because the way the dodgers prospects rise up in the rankings isn't because they drafted them in the first or second round it's because they've developed them and yeah. they have the resources to do so. So I want to see this team not be prospect huggers next year in the offseason or in the break. If you don't sign point. a Carlos Correa or an Aaron Judge or a Xander Bogarts or a Jacob DeGrom, the list goes on and on. Maybe you do look to pull off a trade for one of these available pieces that I'm not going to burn because I'm going to do like 3,000 videos <laughs> on them. But uh, yeah, there are names out there. So. <laughs>
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.